Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. Nabil, the real deal. It's been a minute. Welcome back to Not Your Weekly Sports Pod. We're here, brother. We're here talking about an interesting topic. How you doing, my dude? Dude, I'm good, man. It's been a minute since we've actually done one in person, bro. It's it's always different when we do it in person versus when we do it remotely. I feel like we get a lot more chemistry when we do it together in person. So you always know it's going to be a fucking good time whenever the boys are back in town. I look look into your eyes. You look into my mustache (laughs) and just things start twirling, right? Oh, my goodness. So speaking of twirling, man, I want to open this episode up with some trivia like we always do. Absolutely. And and I look, I respect your basketball knowledge, Mm -hmm. Nabil. I think you're one of the most knowledgeable sports fans I know oh, wow. but I, I'd be willing to bet all my student loans that I've paid off <laughs> to be put back onto my credit that you're not going to know the answer to this question and if you do and listeners if any of you guys know the answer to this I will be fucking impressed oh, you ready God. for this give it to me so this has to do with our topic tonight okay which we're going to discuss the top 10 players in the NBA under 21 mm-hmm. and the context behind this question really has to do with what we're going to discuss here, which is young superstars in the NBA, or rather young emerging superstars in the NBA. So, Nabil, you remember 2011, one of the hotly contested MVP races between LeBron James and the youngest MVP in NBA history in Derrick Rose mm-hmm. at the age of 22, resulted in Derrick Rose being the youngest MVP ever to win that year for the Chicago Bulls. Correct. Nabil, who's the second youngest MVP in NBA history? Listeners, I'll give you all a second to think about it, too. It's going to be somebody very old, I would think. (laughs) Somebody very fucking old. Uh, I'll I'll give you a guess. It was pre-2000s. Way pre-2000s. Way pre-2000s, huh? Damn. It's going to be in the 80s, probably. Uh, Nah, it's not going to be this obvious. Let's just stay with it. Magic Johnson. (laughs) It was uh, the round mound of rebound Wes Unseld. Oh, Wes Unseld. In 1969, at the age of 23. Holy fuck. By the way, fun fact, Wes Unseld also holds the record for the lowest points per game ever for an MVP. Uh, He averaged 13.8 points a game. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, man, um, we bring that trivia into the fold here to discuss an interesting topic. And, Nabil, we've kind of hinted at this topic before, man. You know, we've talked about on previous podcasts how... The NBA is, at least in the first time in about a decade, it's entering this weird phase where year to year, it's no longer like, hey, man, LeBron James is the best player in the NBA. Who's two, three, four, five, right? So we're entering this unprecedented phase where we're going to have this revolving door of different top five to 10 guys every single year. And I think to truly have an appreciation for that, we need to acknowledge the young rising stars in the NBA. Now, you know, Bleacher Report did their top 25 players under 25 report a year and a half or so ago where they went in depth about those guys. I want to do a 2021 top 10 guys under 21 and really get into the guys who are going to carry the face of this league for the next 10 years because I think there's a lot of them and I think the context surrounding their careers are very, very interesting. 
Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more with you, man. I think the coolest thing about that, the fact that we're even talking about it at age 21, is the fact that I think that these guys have the potential that we're going to talk about to be, you know, all-stars or all-NBA players within the next two to three years. Like, even before the age of 25, a lot of these guys on this list, if they continue the trajectory that they've had their rookie and sophomore years... Uh, there's no reason why they're not going to end up being all-star or NBA players. So, and I think we're seeing that so much quicker than we did in, in previous eras, right? Like if you were going to be an all NBA or an all-star player, usually you're probably about 26, 27, you know, somewhere around there peaking, but these peaks are happening so much at, uh, you know, so much more at earlier ages now that it's crazy to see. I mean, for crying out loud, Luka Doncic is what fucking like 22 and he's probably going to be he's the lead for MVP next year. You know, that's crazy to me. You don't think about that a lot to say that a lot of these guys that are under 21, they're going to be faces of their franchise within the next couple of years, if not already. You know, that's crazy for me to think about. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more with you on this, Vala. I don't I don't really fully understand why that is either. You said it best, man. Like, you see these stars really hit their peaks 26, 27, at least what we were used to growing up. And you look at this year's playoffs, right? You look at guys like Devin Booker, mm-hmm. age 24, Giannis. Trey Young, 22-year-old. Luka, you mentioned, mm-hmm. 22-year-old. The most overrated player for the most overrated franchise in NBA history, Spida Mitchell, uh-huh. 24 years old. John ja Morant, 22. and Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum, young stud on the Celtics. He's, what, 23 yeah, now? Yeah, 23. So, and Jalen Brown. Let's not forget yeah. about him either. You know, I feel like youngins back in the day, the T-Macs, the Kobe's, the Vince Carter's, um, even like the Russell Westbrooks of the mid 2000s to late 2000, early 2010s, they really relied on speed and athleticism to yeah. start their careers out. And they showed the traits of being a star quality player, but they didn't really have the basketball nuances yet at that point. But these guys that we just mentioned, man, you look at Trey Young manipulating defenders on his hip at the age of 22. You look at Luka using leverage and angles to, you know, beat the defense yeah. and have pick and roll schemes. These guys are doing it with smarts. So I want to ask you before we get into the top 10, because smarts and basketball know-how is going to play a big role in each of these players we discuss. Why do you think that is, man? I think the main thing that I'm able to see here more than anything else is that these guys are able to get separation on defense better than anybody I've seen in earlier ages. I think that's the hardest thing to do is be able to separate yourself from the defender to get a clean shot. And these guys do it so effortlessly. It's ridiculous, right? Like, Luca step back. Like, you don't see skill like this until, you know, James Harden didn't fucking start, you know, didn't start doing this until like two or three years into his Houston Rockets career. And Luca's doing this within his second year in the NBA. Trey Young's able to do shit that Steph wasn't able to actually understand until, you know, his, I think, what, sixth or seventh year until Monte Ellis left for crying out loud, right? Like, separation from your defender is so big. And it's not like these defenders are getting worse. Hell, I would say that these, you know, defenders are getting more athletic every year. It's more tougher. You know, they're going to be able to switch on all fives. But still to have better offense and be able to separate yourself from any defender who's coming at you at this time, you know, if you're if you're Trey Young, there's a lot of times in the switch defenses that a power forward who's probably 6'9", 6'10", is coming up on you and still be able to get separation on that. It's amazing. We saw in Devin Booker too, right? Whenever he had somebody like Chris Middleton or Giannis on him was significantly bigger, he still get that separation. So I think that skill set to be able to do something like that at such a young age is a gift. It really is. I think it's a gift and I think it's a, I think it's a testament to how good, you know, uh, the G League or, you know, college basketball, whatever these previous areas that these guys are coming in from is doing and the private training that they must be doing as well. It's, it's really good to see. You know where I think it started? At least where I think we saw the first hints of it started was you remember 2014 FIBA yeah that's that summer where they had the training camp in the U.S. 
and there were the YouTube clips that we all saw leak of them playing Chicago. Are you familiar with the yeah. game of Chicago where mm-hmm. you play one-on-one, right? If you score, you stay on. If you get scored on, you're off. Next person's on. You get three dribbles to score. Yep. If you score, you stay on. If you don't, next man up. And I saw that growing up. Like when I was in high school, I played I played with some guys who ended up going pro and that's all we did in practice. And I think the AAU circuit has really kind of like hammered that into these players. Playing AAU year round, being coached up by guys, and not having that, you know, the mindset of we're going to smoke in the locker room at halftime with Red Auerbach kind of a culture that the NBA was so used to. These guys, like you said, man, it's all about creating space. And what better way is there to do that than to hone that against another athletic guy that can stay with you on your hip one-on-one and you only have three dribbles to do so. So I think 2014, when we saw guys like KD, Paul George, Devin Booker, Kyrie, James Harden, they all played those one-on-one Chicago games, those clips that we saw emerge. Those were the first hints of it, man. And what better way to hone your craft than to do so in a limited space and limited number of dribbles that translates well to a game? Yeah. And so every single one of these guys, I think, thrive in that environment that we're going to discuss here. So, bro, let's just get into it, man. Yeah. Let's start at the top of the list. I think the listeners can guess who number one is on this list of guys under the age of 21. So spit it at me, brother. Who's yeah, number one? For sure. So first off, let's go with the point. They're also If they're 21, that still counts, right? It's 21 yes. and under. 21 and under, and we're excluding the uh, 2021 rookie class. So this year's rookie, the K, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, those guys don't count because we just haven't seen them on an NBA basketball court yet. Cool. Yeah. So if that's going to be the criteria, the number one has to be Zion Williamson. Come on now, bro. This guy is just... I mean, we we talk about transcendent players and future faces, faces of the league, not just their own franchi- franchise. It has to be Zion Williamson, man. I mean, this guy, when we look at progression from where he was his rookie year to what we saw just this last year, there's no reason to think that within the next two years, this guy can be one of the best, the best player in the league. Like, I mean... I compare this a lot to Giannis. Look where Giannis was at his age and look what Zion Williamson is at is at his age right now. If this guy still follows the same trajectory that he's on pace for right now, by the time he's Giannis's age, this guy's going to be one of the greatest players we've ever seen. You know, like it, it's crazy to see. And he's again, he's doing all this without a consistent three-point shot. There's nobody that can guard this guy one-on-one just because we've never seen strength like this in the NBA per se. He's six foot nine, and we talk about that cliche of somebody playing bigger than they really are. This guy plays like he's a five in this league, and he barely has the size of a three or a four, really. Um, he's an anomaly, and any team, you know, I, don't, I think we can both agree that I don't think he's going to stay with the Pelicans his whole career. So whoever the next team is to take this guy on to be this cornerstone piece, they're just got they just got themselves a franchise player. Madison Square Garden's a great place to play. Oh God, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, bro. Second year in the league as a 20-year-old, you're averaging 27.7 rebounds, four assists a game on 61% from the field. I mean, I was a guy who always questioned Zion. You know, when he came out of the draft, I always worried about his weight and his lack of height relative to his play style. But man, he's, he's unlocked already at year two a level to his play that I don't think a lot of people acknowledge that I'll bring up here in a second. And there's so much more to unlock. You said it, bro. He doesn't have a three-point shot yet. He doesn't, as a four who operates out of the high post and the elbow a lot of times, he hasn't really developed like a go-to mid-range shot like you see from a guy like Zach Randolph, right? So there's still a lot of elements to his game to be unlocked. But I think year two, what elevated Zion to number one on this list is point Zion. 
Yeah. Do you know anything yeah. about this aspect of his game? Yeah, I know. It's so funny. Like he kind of took that heliocentric aspect of like what Luka Doncic really did and kind of played from top of the key and kind of like ran the show himself. That's why I really wasn't too upset that they got rid of Lonzo. Not saying that he would he was a great fit, but it was a really cool concept that I think they tried running in that Stan Van Gundy offense. Obviously, I'm much happier they got a new coach that can run this scheme. But no, that point Zion concept, I think, was really cool to see. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that next year. Yeah, so he started the season averaging like 1.4 pick and rolls a game as the as the guy who, who you know was the ball handler in those circumstances. After the trade deadline, February 14th and onwards, he averaged 14.4 pick and roll ball handler positions a game. So... Stan Van Gundy is absolutely, and by the way, Stan Van Gundy is another secret to unlocking Zion's game. <laughs> that is the lack of Stan Van Gundy getting him the fuck out of New Orleans, I think. But, you know, point Zion's not something we expected, which is crazy to me because when you talk to his trainer, when you talk to anyone who's seen Zion at the high school level, even the middle school level, man, in, you know, the eighth grade, he was a five foot nine point guard, grew to be six foot three by his freshman year in high school. And so all his life growing up, he's been used to having the ball in his hand. His dad has prepared him from a young age to be a ball handler in the NBA. And we're starting to see that now. We're really starting to see him unlock that element to his game. And like you said, man, you know, the three-point shot is yet to come. The mechanics are still shoddy, and he has that baby fat around his shoulders. So we'll see if he can unlock that at some point here in the future. But, man... There's so much to say about Zion that, you know, I feel like merits its own podcast because, like you said, Nabil, he's a transcendent player, a generational player. And at year two for him to be putting up those numbers on a New Orleans team that didn't really have a guard to distribute the ball to him other than Lonzo, who I think was being utilized incorrectly. You know, Zion, we talked about how he operates as the ball handler in the pick and roll. He only averaged like 1.4 points per pick and roll as the roller which is fourth in the NBA without a true point guard, without yeah. a true like go-to pick-and-roll point guard. And you wonder what New Orleans is doing, right? You mentioned you don't think he's going to stay with New Orleans long-term. Like, Who's their point guard right now? I, I can't even think of one out there. Who, they, they just traded Bledsoe. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I really, I don't, I don't even know who they have. I think they're really just relying on Brandon Ingram to, I don't know, try to play point guard. I yeah, guess. and the, the rookie guy they drafted in mm -hmm. the first round, too, maybe he'll develop into something down the line. But come on, man, you have Zion yeah. Williamson. Don't do what the Cavs did with LeBron and say you're going to roll the ball down the line and hopefully you get someone in free agency. you got to start surrounding these young guys, these young generational guys with talent right away. Or else I think they're going to learn the mistakes of their past predecessors and find a situation that can kind of, you know, accommodate them better for the talent and what they bring to the floor. Yeah, no, I'm with you wholeheartedly, man. I remember this was a conversation I had on uh, the podcast with Safe and Assad on uh, on uh, the Waterboy and Equipment Manager. And I asked them directly that they just got rid of Steven Adams and they pretty much traded Steven Adams for Jonas Valanciunas, kind of like a stretch five. So I'm really keen to see how this offense is going to look like with pretty much solo Zion in the paint and how he's going to operate without another center clogging that paint up. So it really makes me want to think, you know, this is going to be the, this is going to be one of the most fun things if you're a new coach to play around with, to have, you know, Zion playing in the post by himself. Is he going to average more points? Is he going to have more touches around the paint? Is he going to be able to pretty much operate as a point guard from the paint and then, you know, 
to push out to Brandon Ingram. I think there's a lot of possibilities for Zion this in his third year. And I think this third year is kind of going to be that make it or break it year if we're going to see that, okay, New Orleans has some potential or it's going to be uh, going down the road of AD and he's going to demand out very soon. What's, what's, um, I'm interested because I just thought of this off the top of my head, man. Has there been a duo of two young guys who put up such incredible numbers in Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson? that have failed so spectacularly to win games in recent memory. Think about it. Ingram's a 6'10", 6'11", point yeah. forward who puts up 25, 6'6". Six six. Zion, we mentioned his numbers and his stats. And the Pelicans aren't even in the playoff hunt. No, not even So there. is there like another duo you can remember that was such a failure in that regard relative to the talent they bring onto the court? Man, no, I really could. The only thing I could think of would be like what Shaq and Penny, but I mean, they they got far in the playoffs. Yeah, dude, you know? they were like, finals team. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there, there's no reason that you have this much talent and you're struggling this hard. Like, no, I, I can't think of a team off the top of my head, bro. I really can't. Like, it's it's really hard for me to think about a team. I mean, what, T-Mac and Yao, but even, even then they made, they were the 4-5 seed consistently. Yeah, and, and T-Mac and Yao were established by yeah, that point. Exactly. They were in their mid to late 20s and they were still a playoff team when they were healthy. So I don't know, man. I don't know what New Orleans does. I think Stan Van Gundy is an issue for that franchise. I think the point guard situation is an issue as well. But I like you bringing up Steven Adams, and I'm glad you did so on you know the the Waterboy and Equipment Manager podcast with Safe. Shout out to my boy Safe for not coming on the pod. I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna give you some shit for talking about the Rockets trade for James Harden because that turned out to be a bad take. Um, but yeah, man. Steven Adams not being there is going to help them big time, but let's see what happens with New Orleans. Yeah, I agree. What's your biggest concern with Zion? Uh, my biggest concern, I, I, you know, I don't think it's happened yet, but just like health, right? Yeah. Just it, it's yeah, dude. That that frame, six foot nine, with the weight that he has, he's I got mean, a lot of baby fat. It, it, that's the only thing, you know. I don't. Know, I mean, obviously, he's shown it's proved us completely wrong that it's not a big deal for him at all because his fucking vertical is still ridiculous and he's able to bully the fuck out of people. And who knows? Maybe he ends up being Zebo, like a very consistent, healthy career throughout everything. But I mean, that's the if you're gonna gripe at anything as a question mark, I think that's the only thing. But you know, knock on wood, we don't. You know, this it's he has a you know, very fruitful, long career. But, you know, if I'm going to be a little, like, you know, a little cautious and have like a risk centric, hat on, then health is going to be the main thing. For that me. explosiveness that he displays, yeah. you know, the volume that's expected out of an NBA superstar over the course of an 82 game regular season and theoretically a playoff run, the weight that he plays that man, it's tough to imagine that he's going to be able to sustain this for a long time, but who knows, yeah. right? You see NBA players today extending their careers into their late 30s and doing so productively like we saw out of a Chris Paul and LeBron James. So you can only hope the sports science that the Pelicans or whatever team he plays for in the future mm -hmm. can employ that well for him. I think we both agree what really is the only thing to unlock the next level at this point is his jump shot, right? Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's the only thing I think of. I mean, even then, I think Giannis has proven that you really don't need a consistent jump shot, <laughs> shot to be as you know an MVP candidate in this league. Or score 50 points in finals games. Exactly. Just be able to hit your free throws whenever you get fouled in the paint and you know just be able to wreck the matchup that you have one-on-one -on -one and boom, you're an MVP candidate. Not downplaying anything, but I'm saying like it's possible now without a jump shot in this perimeter-centric league that you have. So... Zion, if you don't even make it, you know, if you don't even get a three-point shot, if you can just dominate like Giannis does in the post, you're going to end up being a goat. Yeah, Zion, if you're listening to the podcast, Nabil just said it best, man. Just do dominate in the post. That's all you got to do, bro. Um, I've got, I don't know if you have a player comparison here, but I've got Sean Kemp, but just way fucking better. Yeah. Able to handle the ball better. Um, a little more touch around the rim. And, you know, I think Zion has a little more basketball IQ just because he played the guard position from such a young age. 
as opposed to Sean Kemp. And he doesn't have a substance abuse issue. So, <laughs> so I think that's mine. I don't know if you had a different one. Yeah, for me, I would say Philadelphia's uh, 76er Charles Barkley. Barkley, okay. Yeah, yeah Barkley, when he was at the 76ers wow. at a young age, when he had Moses Malone playing with him. Um, I, I think that's the closest thing I could think of just because he can play that point guard position whenever he needs to. Um, and, you know, Chuck was just able to do it at a good level. I mean, but he's so much more physically gifted than Chuck was at, you know, at his age. But, uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's really hard to compare anybody to Zion Williamson just because we've never seen anybody like him. He, he is a unicorn, man. And I like the Chuck comparison. I don't think Zion's the rebounder that Chuck was. No. But what's interesting about Zion is he actually leads the NBA. Over the last five years, he's led the NBA. Um yeah, I know he's only been a player for two years, but what he's done in these two years is better than anyone has done in the last five years in rebounding his own misses. Oh, yeah. So the potential for him to be a rebounder is still there, and a lot of that is coaching, right? Absolutely. Boxing out, knowing where to be, knowing where to find your man. So I think the potential is there. That's yeah. a solid comparison, man. So anything else on Zion before we move on no, from I, the I, obvious I, number one guy on the list? I think we've usurped a lot of time for Mr. Zion Williamson. Well-deserved, but yeah, definitely he's the number one, man. Cool. Number two is, you know, a guy that was pretty polarizing coming out of not college, but coming out of the eastern hemisphere of the world, once Lithuania, <laughs> then Australia, is, you know, the ball production family. Hey. La, it's going to be LaMelo Ball at age 19. Rookie of the year, LaMelo Ball, man. Yeah. Tell me a little something about LaMelo. LaMelo, his, his IQ for his age it's so unprecedented to me because I think he's learned so much of like these little nuances to play point guard in this league. Like I think the hardest thing to play about the point guard position is to understand the little tiny things, right? Like when to have your, you know, when to have a, a bounce pass versus having a, you know, like a, a pass straight to you without, you know, without bouncing the ball, finding the right angles to find your, uh, find your teammate, finding the right teammate when you're actually finding two or three guys to open, um, being able to facilitate, but actually knowing when to score and actually being able to find the fine line of knowing when to actually score and when to actually give it up to players as well. And more importantly, gaining the respect of your teammates at such a young age and having that confidence that they give you to actually run the point guard position. Talented teammates, man. Very Terry Rozier, Malik Monk, yeah. Graham, you know, like guards that can play in a playoff Very, rotation on yeah. several NBA teams. Absolutely. And then having your actual star player, you know, Gordon Hayward, for example, literally telling you that, no, this guy's our point guard, for example, as well. So I think, you know, and then on top of that, having Michael Jordan pretty much tell you, no, you have the keys to the kingdom, kid. It's you. <laughs> Like that's, I mean, you talk about like a fucking, you know, like a stamp of approval. There you go. That's a stamp of approval from the goat right there, in my opinion. So the second goat. Yeah. In your opinion. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's (laughs) before we open up that can of worms again. Yeah. No, I mean, this guy, this guy's great, bro. And I mean, I think the fact is like, I, I don't think, um, I think it really is not going to surprise me that by the time he's 25, that we're going to consider him the unanimous best point guard in the NBA. Uh, maybe the best player in the NBA. I, yeah. I would go that far. I really would, man. A 19-year-old yeah. with professional experience from the age of 16, mm-hmm. right? Junior year, he goes to Lithuania to play professional. Senior college, he plays in Australia. And by all accounts, bro, he underperformed in Australia. Oh, there were serious concerns about his ability to translate to the pros in the the footage that we saw of him there. But comes to the NBA, man, and you said it, man, the IQ that he has, the flashy playmaking, the misdirection, the creativity. Um, and I think more importantly for a point guard in today's game, the three-level scoring that mm-hmm. he brings to the table. He can finish at the rim. He's got a pull-up game. And, bro, I don't know if you know this. Let me, let me quiz you yeah, again here. Sure. There were six players in the NBA mm-hmm. that tried over 100 threes from 27 feet and out. Yeah. Can you name those six guys? Lamelo's one of them. Uh, Steph, uh, Trey Young, 
Uh, let me see. Is Trey on this list? Yeah, you got it, Trey. Uh, Luca. Luca. Uh, Devin Booker. Not Devin Booker. Drew Holiday. Not Drew. Think uh, about Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard's one of them. Uh, who else am I going to be missing? Uh, CJ McCollum. Think about the most obvious one, man. Did you mention Steph? Steph. Yeah, I said Steph. So Steph. Steph. Trey. Trey Luca. Dame. Lamelo. Lamelo. And the one is a rocket. Houston Rocket. KPJ. Eric Gordon, baby. Oh, really? That makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. Fair enough. He'd be chucking him from fucking Sugarland. So, so these are all guys like Eric Gordon, former NBA yeah. three-point shootout winner. Damian Lillard, Dame Time, game winners in the playoffs from 30 feet out. Luka Doncic, obviously, he's doing what he's doing. Out of all six of these guys, who was the highest efficiency player from 27 feet out? 19-year-old fucking LaMelo wow. Ball. That's really surprising. LaMelo Ball, dude. He shot 37%. From 27 feet and out. Ridiculous. For a 19-year-old to be doing that is unreal to me. And he possesses that veteran poise, man. For NBA veterans like Gordon Hayward, who've played on rosters with serious talent Mm -hmm. from Boston, from his days in Utah, leading that team to playoff berths. For him to be saying that about a guy like a a teenager in LaMelo Ball who can't even legally buy alcohol yet is big time, man. Yeah. No, there's... And I think the fact of the matter is like, you know... I think Charlotte's coming into his own. I mean, we just saw recently Terry Rozier get the max that he could get as well, like under 100 million, which by the way was a steal for the fucking Charlotte Hornets. And to have a backcourt now of Terry, scary Terry, and Lamella Ball, I think they're just going to feed so well off of each other. And you know, usually I think people would think that the Charlotte Hornets would be a franchise that you know a person would go to and not really thrive and grow in, but. I really think this team is set up, you know, set up for success in the near future. And to see the growth of what, you know, LaMelo Ball can have from his rookie year going into his sophomore year, I know it was cut short a little bit his rookie year just because of health. And we actually had the argument of, you know, who's going to be rookie of the year that year. Um, I'm really keen to see what a full, healthy year of LaMelo Ball is going to look like for the Charlotte Hornets. And more importantly, what it's really going to look like for the NBA in and of itself. Yeah, he... Charlotte is, they're one of the more interesting teams from the standpoint of young talent that you want to see, <laughs> you want to see how it fits together. Like yeah. there's so many interesting guys and I get it. You know, they've lost a lot of guys, Ma- Malik Monk to the Lakers, Graham signed a contract elsewhere as well. And um, you wonder how a lot of their young pieces fit in the future and whether or not they're going to move some of those guys for veteran pieces yeah. to kind of get that win now mode because Charlotte wasn't really, a, I would have loved to see Charlotte in the playoffs, but yeah. they weren't really at that level yet because of the youth on their mm-hmm. team and because of injuries as well too. Man, LaMelo again, we mentioned a lot of those traits, the three level scoring, the flashy playmaking, and I don't want to bust my load too early with oh. player comps. But man, the creativity of Jason Kidd, right? Mm-hmm. The the misdirection, turning his head one way, making the pass the other way, going up for a layup and dumping it down to the low post guy. The three-point shot. I see elements of Jason Kidd. I see elements of Steve Nash. I see elements of multiple players. And I just see him as like the Patrick Mahomes of basketball, really. <laughs> just being able to take various aspects of different stars and not just be a guy who takes things from various traits and kind of incorporates them together in a productive manner, but rather at a superstar level. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to see where he goes with this man. And I see a little bit of Penny Hardaway in him as well. That he's a six foot six point guard. Yeah, that was my comparison. I thought it was going to be Penny more than anything else. I just don't think he's the defender of Jason Kidd yet. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jason Kidd was fucking all world defensively. But, but, but as a rookie, yeah. he was sixth in the NBA in deflection. And by That's the awesome. way, he. 
of all rookies since 2015, mm-hmm. he led all rookies in terms of deflections since 2015. Yeah. And the guy who's second on this list is considered one of the best defenders in the NBA today. You know who that is? Giannis or? Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, wow. Ben Simmons is the only guy who comes close to him. So I think LaMelo averages like three deflections a game. Mm -hmm. Ben Simmons was about Mm 2.9 as a rookie in in his rookie season. By the way, funny fact, right? This uh, NBA 2K ratings that just came out, Ben Simmons and LaMelo Ball have the same rating this year. I I would rather have as on my team, if I'm trying to build a championship team, just because of the complimentary traits that LaMelo brings, I would rather have LaMelo on my team than Ben Simmons. I don't know if that's a hot take or I not. I think so. I really don't think it's a hot I, take. I feel pretty wholeheartedly about that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you wholeheartedly, man. And I think, I just think for somebody to have the scoring prowess that they do at 19 and just have such a, a high IQ about knowing what to, like how to score really, I think the problem that you have with somebody who's 19 that has the skill set to be able to score in such a different, you know, way, in such different ways, I think the problem is they don't know when to use what, right? Like you might be thinking, oh, you know, he's just going to jack up threes the whole time just because he knows he's really good at it. But I think the cool thing about LaMelo is just the fact of, no, he knows like this is the time for him to shoot a three. This is the time for him to pass it off to Terry. This is the time for him to, you know, go hard at the rim and actually get an and one like it's really cool to see that this guy is so smart to be able to do that at age 19 so props to him man props to mr lavar ball we're we're kind of blowing steam up his ass here in the whole ball brand but what does he need like what's the next step to unlock his frame i, I just think that's it i just think his frame is the only thing just because like you know we're talking about a league where switching happens so many times he's gonna get bullied it's just yeah. there, there's you know there's threes and fours that are just significantly stronger than he is um but you know again this was something that we saw with his brother lonzo i mean look at Lon- lonzo's frame now i think he he just looks like he's not gonna get bullied and i i think the same if we're talking genetics there's no reason why Lamelo can't grow into the same frame as his brother lonzo his big weakness like we mentioned you know the concerns of him out in australia playing in the nbl was his ability to finish right he took a lot of those like 15 foot floaters because he wouldn't be able to go in the lane and take contact and we've already seen him make strides there so there's no reason to think that he's not going to unlock that next level and nabil man I, i'm telling you four or five years from now when we're both old Middle Eastern men walking Ooh. with our hands behind our back and our back <laughs> slightly tilted, uh, we're going to look back and say, yeah, we, we called LaMelo Ball being one of the three best players in the NBA. Boom. So Love there it. it is, man. Let's go to the next guy on this list. This is a surprising one. I yeah. talked to um, my boy David Diaz hey. is, a, is a co-worker at Memorial Hermann now, and I, I brought this list up to him. This is the one that he thought was going to make the most amount of noise in I'm- terms of people disagreeing with us. Number three, R.J. Barrett. I completely agree with you. You agree with me on this? Wholeheartedly. I have number three on my list The Knicks are back, baby. (laughs) It's so good for the NBA, bro. So good for the NBA. Julius Randle is an all-star, most improved player of the year. Tom Thibodeau was a coach of the year candidate, still running his players into the ground with the minutes they play. And, bro, R.J. Barrett made one of the most impressive year or two leaps that people aren't discussing, at least casual fans aren't discussing around the NBA. Why do you agree with me that R.J. Barrett's number three on this list? Just the amount of, first off, let's just talk about the disrespect that was given towards R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett was not considered a top 125 player in the NBA by certain standards, right? I think, I want to say, I don't know if it was ESPN, Bleacher Report, or The Athletic. It was one of the, one of those three media outlets. They came out with a list of the top 125 players, and R.J. Barrett was not on that list. And I just have to say, whoever fucking created that list, y'all are stupid. Y'all aren't watching fucking basketball. I don't know if you're, you're Colin, you know, Colin Cowherd or who the fuck you are, but you were definitely not watching basketball, man. But, to see what RJ Barrett was able to do, this guy was playing three different positions on one fucking team. Yeah. He was playing point guard, he was playing off the off guard, and he was playing the three. The three. 
all at all at, at once and doing all three of them at an elite status he was the best point guard on that team when he decided to play point guard he was the best two guard on that team when he was playing the two guard he was the best defender at the three that they had when he decided to play defense as well this guy is a complete fucking player and he's like 20 years old dude and on top of that he's shooting the three at like 40 percent as well he can give you 20 any night i think the only deficiency that this guy has and i think he got exposed whenever um they're playing Atlanta is that he has a you know he, he definitely favors going left more than going right but I mean he's 20 years old what do you expect he's obviously going to go to his dominant hand a little bit more but that's that's really the only guy his only fucking deficiency man other than that this guy can play all fucking you know all four I mean, who knows maybe five positions in the future as well but he's a complete player man he looks like to be a franchise player in, in this league and to see the jump that he had from year one to two it just makes you want to think what the fuck is this guy going to look like in year three so First of all, I agree with everything you just said. This is a rare podcast moment for us to agree on so many things, by the way. But um, we don't have to bring LeBron James into this, so I think that's that's where that's where the the you know agreement comes in. Let's talk about year two for a minute, okay? Mm-hmm. He played every single game for the New York Knicks this year. Seventy-two out of seventy-two games led the Knicks to you know really not just their first playoff appearance, home court advantage, and oh, looking like a playoff team that could make noise, yeah. right? Veteran leaders on that team, Tom Thibodeau, experienced coach coaching them. Average 18.6 rebounds, three assists. But what really jumps out to me, man, is the manner in which he did it. From year one to year two, he goes from 40% from the field to being a 44% guy. He went from, this is the biggest one that I think is going to be the key to unlocking his next level. He went from a 32% three-point shooter on low usage to a 40% three-point shooter on about four attempts a game. Yeah, You really saw changes in his mechanics, too, that... His trainer, Drew Hanlon, emphasizes that we can get into later as well. Scoring on closeouts, he was 30th percentile in the NBA. He's now 58th. Pick and roll ball handler, points per possession. He went from 27th percentile to 43rd. You know, the cha- the improvements are there, but there's still a lot to be had for him. Yeah, and I absolutely. think of the first, you know, at least when we talked about Zion and LaMelo, they're already at an elite level and the changes they make only escalate them to an all NBA status. With R.J. Barrett, I think there's more significant leaps to be made. He still needs to improve as a finisher in the lane. I think like on layups, he's under 50%, and he only shoots like 56% from inside the restricted area. And there's still improvements to be made on his three-point shot. He still doesn't have a pull-up game, per se, (laughs) which Drew Hanlon, the trainer of also Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, KPJ, and a lot of other notable guys, has said that he's really working on with him this summer. So... R.J. Barrett's got some room to improve, but man, you know, a guy who was, by all accounts, out of Canada, one of the top high school prospects, who kind of got overshadowed by Zion at Duke, Mm -hmm. who comes into a shitty situation in New York and still has a productive rookie year, I think we're just scratching the surface with this guy, man. He's 20 years old, he's a lefty, has an unreal frame that's able to play the one through three, like you said. I'm excited to see what he does next, man. And I I don't know what what you think, but the next level to unlocking him, I think, is his pull-up game. Whether that be the mid-range, where he averaged about 36% on mid-range pull-up jump shots. Or the three, where he really didn't see him attempt too many pull-up three shots because of his mechanics in the change in his mechanics over the summer. Yeah, I think for me, bro, like when I keep, when I look at RJ Barrett, uh, like I said, bro, the only deficiency I really see is just his favorability to go left more than anything else. I, you know, obviously he's not ambidextric, ambidextrous at all. 
Um, but I, I think you need to be, especially if you're a lefty, James Harden did this very well. And obviously I think he's the blueprint for any guard lefty. It's just the fact of like still being able to favor the left, but still knowing that you can go right at any time and be just as deadly. And I think RJ Barrett is, I don't know if it's a, a skill issue or a confidence issue. I, I would probably lean toward just making more of a confidence issue than anything else, just because obviously you're in the league, you can use both hands to begin with. Um, but I think that's his only deficiency. And I think he's going to take over being the, the primary point guard in this league. Let's not forget his godfather is fucking Steve Nash. Right. Like, I think that's something that a lot yeah, of people <laughs> don't really don't really recall. Like his godfather, Steve Nash, do talks to him every fucking day. And that's, you know, I think we can agree. Like Steve Nash, probably one, probably the greatest point guard of our generation that we've seen personally, I would say growing up. So I think he's going to get wait, better. Wait, wait, wait. Other than Chris Paul, right? Agree or disagree. But yes, we will okay. talk about that. Okay. Um, I think that the only reason for that being that I think that he's going to take the take the primary ball handling role this upcoming year. I think we're going to see a lot of Kemba Walker playing off ball, which I think he should be doing at this age more than anything else. And I think that primary point guard role is going to be going to RJ Baird to kind of facilitate that New York Knicks offense. And man, am I excited just because of the amount of like the amount of players that he can just pass to to actually, you know, facilitate openings. Evan Fournier, first and foremost, second of all, fucking, you know, Julius Randle, Kemba Walker. You got three guys that can give you 20 on any fucking given night. One guy that can give you probably 30 any night to be able to pass it off to. And let's not forget, you know, defenses aren't going to be able to hone in on him due to the lack of perimeter threats. Now that you've got a guy like Derrick Rose coming off yeah, the bench as sure. well, you know, guys that have played in Thibodeau's system who know how to manage the offense that he runs, the workload that he runs as well, by the way. And what an adjustment that is, man. Thibodeau is a demanding coach. Absolutely. This is, you know, for R.J. Barrett, this isn't only the first time he's playing next to a fellow superstar like Julius Randle. This is the first time he's adjusting to a coach like Tom Thibodeau, who's not a college coach, who's not a, a rookie throw you in and figure it out kind of coach, but a very structured system coach. So I think R.J. Barrett, of all the guys we've mentioned so far, I think he's going to have the most significant leap year, at least year two to three than the other guys we've mentioned. I know Lamelo is going to be year one to two. Zion will also be year two to three. But RJ Barrett, man, I see him being like a 23, seven and five guy. I agree. I, I think he's, he's, I would favor him to be in contention for most improved player, just like how Julius Randle was last year. I really wouldn't be surprised if uh, RJ Barrett wins, you know, wins it again for the New York Knicks as most improved uh, player for this upcoming year as well. Do you have anything else uh, other than what I said for unlocking his next level in terms of like a mid range pull up game or a mid, uh, or a pull up three point game for that matter? No, I mean, I, I personally, I think his pull up game is already pretty good for what I expect for right now, just because again, he can get space. He can end up getting a shot. I really don't think he needs like an actual pull up game. Again, it's I just more think, finishing. I think it's just more finishing and being able to use his right hand more just at yeah. a more confident scale. I think that's for him, him and Julius Randle both that they both need to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously I think I give a little more slack to RJ cause he's younger. Um, but yeah, that's something that fucking his, his teammate Julius Randle is going to have to do as well. And, and why and what reason is there not to expect for him to develop that, right? You saw a guy like James Harden develop a floater at age 27. You know, R.J. Barrett, all he needs is some shiftiness. That's it. Develop a floater and have a counter mid-range game to go to in case defenders cut him off. He's 21 years old, man. Yeah, what reason is there to think he's not going to develop that? Yeah, I mean, physically, like, I mean, James Harden was nowhere close to being physically at the level that R.J. Barrett is currently right now at age 21. So, yeah, there's there's no reason for him to believe that. I think skill set's obviously there. He was amazing at Duke. He's been amazing as being, you know, the face of Team Canada. Um, yeah, this guy's the future. And I just think there's this couple of tweaks that he needs to make to end up going to all, you know, to all-star, all-NBA status in the next couple of years, if not next year, really. Cool. So, number three, R.J. Barrett. That's it, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to number four, Anthony Edwards. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Rookie of the year, runner-up, Anthony Edwards. Maybe 
I don't know if I'm going on a limb in saying this. Maybe the most polarizing player on this list. Oh, easily the most polarizing player. I'd- right? You know, we all remember those comments that he had with Rachel Nichols on the interview where he said, yeah, I don't watch basketball games. Yeah. I don't like that. And that kind of turned people off in a big way. Much in the opposite of what we saw from Jalen Green yeah. in the NBA draft where people were like, he loves basketball. He's always in the gym. He's going to get better. This is kind of a juxtaposition to that in terms of, does this guy have the passion for the game? He doesn't watch basketball in his free time. Does he love the game of basketball? But that aside, man, I mean, (laughs) 19-year-old guy on a shitty team in Minnesota with a mismanaged franchise and Mm -hmm. bad ownership, for him to do what he did, particularly like you mentioned before the podcast, Nabil, in the second half of the season, what about Anthony Edwards puts him inside the top five for you for a guy who a lot of people, some Minnesota fans included, think is a guy who stuffed the stat sheet on a bad team that had injuries? Again, just to be able to be a volume scorer in this league, I think, is a talent in and of itself. And this guy has that talent. This guy this guy is a volume scorer. And I think, again, to be able, it, you know, obviously efficiency has something has a lot to do with it. And I think efficiency can come at, you know, will come with time for a lot of these volume scorers. But to be able to be a volume scorer in this league and show no fear going to the rim at six foot four, six foot three as he is, that just shows a lot, man. And I think usually as a guard, it's safe to say that you're probably going to get a jump shot, you know, later in your career or maybe, you know, the year two or three. But, you know, the main thing I saw with him, he wasn't afraid to shoot the three. And I think, you know, his mechanics. No, he wasn't. (laughs) Yeah, his mechanics didn't look that bad. And more importantly, just the amount of hop that this guy, I mean, we talk about the main thing about Anthony Edwards. This guy was on every fucking ESPN top 10, like I could think of, right? The amount of fucking heads this guy took off, like just posters that he had in his rookie year. It's very marketable. And I really like seeing that on my end, just to see a guy who's six foot four, not afraid to attack seven footers in the paint. And more importantly, just not afraid to fucking shoot the three, even if he bricks it like half the time like russell westbrook so you know like I, I, honestly it's it's just ballsy to me this guy has balls man like I, I that's the easiest way to say it like i remember the funniest thing right kind of irrelevant but at the same time you know a rod now is a part owner i think one of the majority owners if i'm not mistaken of the minnesota timberwolves and when asked about alex rodriguez uh or um anthony edwards is like who the fuck is that you know, like the, the balls on this guy, like I, I love it, right? To, to be able to say like, you know, no fear, the courageousness to be able to be had at age 19. Uh, this guy's going to go a lot of places, man. I, I'm excited for him. You, you put a lot on the table that I have to unpackage there, man. So you mentioned just now the personality, the humor, right? He had that interview where they were like, okay, your competitor, like, what are you good at? He's like, whatever you want me to yeah. do, I will beat the guy across from me. You want me to golf? I got you. You want me to play hockey? I got you. So he's got that superstar branding ability for a 19-year-old kid who looks like a baby. He's got the personality. He's an unreal dunker already, right? He put multiple guys on posters, runner-up for rookie of the year, averaged 19, 5, on, five and 3. And, you know, for a rookie, he shot 33% from 3. Russell Westbrook's a 32-year-old guy who still can barely crack the 30% mark. Yeah. So... Shot selection, I think, is the big issue for him there. And mechanics are kind of wonky as well, but he's young, man. I'm not I'm not going to hold that against a 19, 20-year-old player in the NBA who's just starting out. But, man, the the traits to develop into what you mentioned, bro, a 6'4", 225-pound guard with a 6'10 wingspan and an 8'4 standing reach who has a 43-inch vertical, 
where P3 Sports Science said he's at the top 98% of the league in explosiveness. 42-inch vertical, by the way. Fucking crazy. I don't know. My max was like 20 inches uh, when, yeah. I was, when I was in high school. Um, I, I think he's just scratching the surface, too. I think the big thing that worries me about him, though, has to do with the advanced metrics. But mm-hmm. again, you can't really hold that against a 19, 20-year-old guy who's featured in an offense where the starting point guard of your team and D'Angelo Russell's missing time and Carl Anthony Towns is, you know, disenfranchised and kind of unhappy in his situation, also missing time as well. But let me give you the negative on Anthony mm-hmm. Edwards just to kind of appease the listeners who are like, you guys are just y'all overhyping him and he's a rookie and he's not going to amount to anything. So he was a 43% catch and shoot three point shooter, which is mm-hmm. pretty impressive, but his pull ups were bad, man. Yeah. So 27 players in the NBA this year uh, basically attempted 400 jump shots, 400 pull-up jump shots. Anthony Edwards had by far the lowest percentage of all these guys at 31%. The next person even closest to him was around 34%. I'm going to throw more trivia at you here, bro. Who do you think led the category here? Who was the best pull-up field goal percentage shooter in the NBA this past season? I I don't think you're going to guess it. I would think Harden, but I guess not. Kyrie. Kyrie, yeah. Kyrie was 47%. That's right. So, you know, you got to ask the question, is this youth? You know, and in the three-point era, is this something that he's going to be able to do as the feature guy in an offense if he is a volume scorer? Only time can tell. And I think that's the secret to unlocking his next level is, is this a matter of shot selection? Is this a matter of mechanics? Is this a matter of um, experience? And I don't think we have the answer to that question, which is why he falls number four on this list and not lower and not higher. I think he's right in that middle range where we just have to see what happens with a consistent lineup of the guys on his team mm-hmm. and him having a full off season and a full NBA season behind him. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the biggest mistake that they can make follow with Anthony Edwards is trying to make him a point guard. Cause I, I, I don't think he's a point guard at all. I really don't. I think he's, he's definitely an off ball guard more than anything else. And I think the problem is that I just don't want him to be typecasted as that just cause he's six foot four and he has a smaller frame. And I, you know, with D'Angelo Russell, you know, potentially getting traded. I don't think D'Angelo Russell is going to stay with the Timberwolves this whole year. I think he's going to get traded. So my only fear is that, hey, man, let him, you know, let him be a Bradley Beal. Don't let him, don't turn him into a John Wall. You know, that that's my kind of like main nuance with him is like, please keep him at the two guard because I think that's where he naturally fits. And he's just a volume scorer, right? I, I just don't want to see my point guard be a volume scorer. Like, and, and that's kind of like my main caveat with him right now at his age. But it, I, you know, I could be wrong, right? This guy is so young. He looks very malleable. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried moving him to any find success in it. But from what I saw his rookie year, I think he'd be a really good off guard. Do you think that's the secret to unlocking his next level is just shot selection and developing that pull-up game? Yeah, no, absolutely, right? That's why I think they should keep him at the at the two-guard level because he's a volume scorer already. He's shown that his first year. I think it's just shots, like you said, it's shot selection and just working on those little mechanics right there more than anything else. So I know we're setting the bar high here, but is a player comp, like you mentioned here, a Bradley Beal type? Yeah, for me, it's Bradley Beal. I mean, obviously, he's. I think it's disrespectful on Bradley Beal to compare him this early. But if you look at rookie Bradley Beal, I mean, I, I think their career arcs are very similar. Um, and yeah, I think Bradley Beal is just right now the second best point uh, or second best shooting guard in this league. I, I don't see why Anthony Edwards couldn't get to that point as well either. I mean, obviously... Uh, you know, you look at you look at where Bradley Beal was as a rookie when he came out of Florida to where you know he is now, and obviously the leaps and bounds he took to get to where he is now. Anthony Edwards, his rookie year looked fucking phenomenal, and if he can end up just putting the same amount of uh, you know effort to his skill, but I wouldn't be surprised within year five or six he's averaging thirty a game. Wow, I, I mean, I don't know if I can say that yet, but the potential is definitely there. Anytime you have a young guy who already is putting twenty 
in the in the league in the big the big dogs game and he has all the mechanics and all the physical tools to do so you can't really count him out so i'm with you there man so that's it man we're getting into the top five here so last guy to round out the top five triple j jaron jackson jr of one of the most promising young teams in the nba in recent nba history that i can think of the memphis grizzlies 21 year old unicorn big slash wing slash three-point shooter slash dog defender yeah Jaron Jackson Jr., man, tell me about him and what you think he brings to the table as the top five guy on this list. Yeah, so I think last year, I think the reason why not a lot of people will talk about Triple J is I think last year he was injured his, his nearly the whole year. And when he did come back, he just didn't fit really well in the system. And I don't think that was on him. I think it was just a fact of not having continuity to play in the lineup for as long as that he did. In, in a season where it's already hard to find continuity with COVID, yeah, right? Exactly. So I think that was the only thing. But the year before, what the, that year that he had with Jaw and the year that he had with Dylan Brooks and all these other guys that were essentially there um this guy looked like a fucking unicorn right i think this guy is exactly what the Cavs are hoping evan mobley can turn into yes right like something like a guy who can literally you know he's positionless right you can play him at the five if you really want to you play him at the three you could play him at the four like he's you know he's a forward center he could be whatever you really need to be more than anything else and he's really efficient like that's the main thing I'm really seeing is that this guy takes shots in the most efficient manner and he doesn't force anything, which is really hard to see at somebody who's so young. I mean, obviously I think there's a lot to do with the fact that you're playing with Dylan Brooks and John Morant as well that you can always defer to, you know? So I think that probably helps with with Kyle Anderson's there now too, I believe. So, you know, there's a lot of different options that you can pass off to if you're not feeling comfortable taking that shot. But the level of maturity he's really shown at such a young age and to be a two-way player as well, right? Not only can he give you 20 a game, this guy can be the anchor to a defense right now at, at under the age of 21. And I, you know, it's really hard to be the anchor of a defense on your team. Uh, because I think at, at such a young age, because I think you have to see so many different types of players to get to that point, right? I think usually to be an anchor on a defense, you have to be in your mid-20s. But this guy's showing it to be really successful under the age of 21. He did a couple of years ago. So uh, this guy's great, bro. Like I, I see a lot of promise in this guy more than anything else. And I think the, the ceiling's so high with him. I'm not going to repeat anything you just said because you, you put it all on the table, man. You know, he's... A unicorn defensively, his per 32 numbers are ridiculous from the last two seasons. He's averaging about 24 a game, nine rebounds, two steals, and two and a half blocks a game crazy. per 32, which is nuts for a 20-year-old guy to be doing in this league. His only weakness, which is not a concern to me, mm-hmm. is fouling. Yeah, absolutely. He averaged five and a half fouls per 75 possessions. But at the same time, you know, guys like Draymond Green, guys like Ron Artest, Tyson Chandler, they all had comparable foul rates early on in their careers. And I think it's due to frame, right? Absolutely. It, what, what's been the biggest knock on Evan Mobley in the draft from Rockets fans? Yeah, frame. His That's frame, it. right? Yeah. Is he going to develop into his frame? And you see that just come with time for certain guys. So I think Jaron Jackson Jr., 21-year-old guy, you know, he's unbelievable length you know seven foot length basically and the versatility that he brings i think he just builds into that frame and he's going to be kind of like one of those guys i think pre-podcast you mentioned to me that who you see kind of inklings of from him is a sort of a ron artest not necessarily an all nba ron artest like we saw in indiana pre-malice at the palace but you know he shows traits of being a guy who can hit the knockdown three-point shot despite having a shot that looks like Kevin Martin's. <laughs> being a guy that can defend all four positions on the court, maybe even the five mm-hmm. in certain lineups in today's NBA. And being a guy who, you know, he can be a complimentary piece to a guy like John Morant in a pick and roll or at least a slasher role. So I'm really excited to see what he does for that Memphis team. And bro, 
if Memphis can just keep like six of these core guys together, they're going to be one of the scariest and funnest teams to watch over the next three or four years. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more with you, man. Like Memphis is just one of those teams that they have all the pieces, man. Like they have guys like they have multiple guys that I think that can be on an all NBA team. They have multiple guys that I think I wouldn't be surprised they end up on an all defensive team very soon here. Um, this is the best out of all the guys that we've seen thus far i think this is one of those uh, this is the best guy that i hope he stays with this core and grows with this core more than he's anything the else. most complimentary piece in this core i think easily and I, I think that memphis will be foolish to try to let the triple j go man and again like i all these other guys that we mentioned i, I wouldn't be surprised um if they left their teams i wouldn't want them to but uh you know again triple j just fits so well in the current scheme that he is that i wouldn't want him to leave let anymore. me let me ask you something real quick is there a more exciting non-superstar front court to watch than the potential of jaron jackson jr and brandon clark oh no no i, I know i'm putting of. you on the spot here no right? i really can't think of anything else that'd be that'd be really cool just because like i think the west this is the first time i think i could say that the west is less um, less stacked than the east is right now just because of all the moves that we had in free agency and i really wouldn't be surprised if memphis ends up moving up to like a top I don't say top five, but like a six or a seven seed instead of being a play-in team next year. And I think that those two are going to have a lot to do with them trying to get up to that facet rather than, you know, any other guy really more than anything else. Okay. So did we already mention basically the unlocking the potential tool is his frame? Is that yeah. what we agree on yeah. here? Okay. So what's his player comp? This is where I, I couldn't really find one. Ron yeah, Artest, Ron Artest, I guess. Young Ron Artest. Okay. I think that, that that was the main one I could think of off the top of my head. Yeah. And, you know, he, who knows? Maybe if he gets better offensively, then he actually does turn to Ron Artest. And if he becomes a better rebounder, I know I mentioned this to you before. I don't know if you agree or disagree with me. Maybe a Sean Marion type even. Yeah. The Weird Matrix shot mechanics. Good. Yeah. He can run the floor, can play four, three positions, can guard four positions. Yeah. So he's he's interesting, man. He's the, he's, he's the unicorn of this list. And... He's the one that I think people are going to be surprised to hear about, but not necessarily hate to hear about because, again, he missed the start of the season due to the meniscus tear last year and only played 11 games, didn't have a training camp, COVID already limited chemistry. So Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to really remind people who he was this next year, I think. Yeah, couldn't agree more with you, brother. Top five is done, dude. Yeah, that's great. Bottom five, number six. We're going to spend some time here, bro. Yeah, of course. We got to do it. <laughs> People, safe. Safe Basaria, Waterboy Equipment Manager Podcast. You're going to be rolling your eyes at this next pick. <laughs> Let's do it, baby. KPJ. KPJ. Let's go, man. Kevin Porter Jr. Bro, the, the NBA is in a world of hurt for what this man's about to show them. Kevin Porter Jr., before I start the hype train, Nabil, simmer me down. Give me a realistic take on KPJ, and then I'll blow your mind. So KPJ, right? I mean, I think it's it's fair to say, like, first off, Houston got him for a fucking steal. The fact that we got him for Top a Top 55 second round protected pick. That's fucking ridiculous. And, and, and honest to God. <laughs> Shout I, out to Torian Prince for taking his locker. I love it. <laughs> I, I find it hilarious because I really think that this kid, this this guy KPJ is actually better than the other guys that were left in Cleveland uh, that took his spot. I think he's better than Darius Garland, right? Like we're going to talk about him afterwards, but I think he's better than Darius Garland. The fact that you dropped this guy off for nothing, gave him to us for nothing was fucking awesome, right? I mean, this guy gave you a 50-piece uh, with 11 assists in the same game against you know against the Minnesota Timberwolves team, I believe. No, it was against it? Drew Holiday. It was against Drew Holiday and the, Bucks. And the Bucks. That's fucking L jockeying for playoff positioning towards crazy. the end of the season. That's crazy. And this guy, like offensively, this guy, this guy has all the tools to to be a solid player, man. Like this guy has everything that he really needs to be offensively more than anything else. I think it's just reps, man. Like what? That's, like, it. that's all it is. It's just reps for him. Like he's so polished. He's so poised. Um, he can play with both. You know, he he doesn't have the the same. Thing 
thing that we just knocked on uh, RJ Barrett for not be able to go right. This guy's able to go right like no other. This guy's able to finish at the rim like no other. And his touch around the three point line, it's spectacular. And it's really funny that him and his new uh, his new courtmate, his new backcourt courtmate, court uh, Jalen Green, they literally play like the same player, which is really fun to me to watch. Is what you have, you know, one and one A really. So all the hype that we give Jalen Green, KPJ has been doing that for since last year, man. I obviously nobody's really talked about it because the Rockets were the butt joke of the NBA after losing James Harden. But for those who were able to watch KPJ play last year, he really reminded me of the same type of play that Jalen Green had in the summer league and just just not televised as much as well. So I'm really excited to see Jalen Green and KPJ in the backcourt. This guy's amazing. You know, he people forget, you know, he had a short stint in the G League once he was traded from the Cavaliers to the Rockets and the numbers he put up in the G League were unprecedented. I think <laughs> I think if there was a NBA G League Hall of Fame, <laughs> KBJ would be inducted into it because of what he did in that short stint. He averaged like 25 like 8 and 8 in the G League on unreal numbers and even had a game against the uh, G League Ignite where him and Jalen Green went head to head. But man, 17 points a game, four rebounds, six assists on decent usage and, you know, efficiency markers for a 20 year old, Mm -hmm. for a 20 year old to put a 50 piece with 10 assists on Drew Holiday too. You can't ignore these things, man. The guy played one year at Arizona. Was it Arizona State where he played in college? I don't know. Did he play at Arizona State? Was he? Did he play James Harden? I'm thinking Joshua Christopher. Did he played. That's it. Joshua Christopher. Yeah. I'm forgetting him. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't remember. San Diego, maybe? maybe. In any case, one year in college, limited reps in Cleveland his rookie year, only played 50 games. That was cut short due to COVID. Cleveland didn't qualify for the bubble, so he had a shortened season. Got no offseason due mm-hmm. to COVID. Basically got no start to the season because of the locker room incident with Torian Prince. Comes over to the Rockets, plays the G League half the year. And then, boom, you throw him into an NBA roster and he gives you 50 and 10. So I think the potential is unlimited for a six foot five guard who's shifty, who also is working with Drew Handler, trainer of Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, and other big time guys, who has shown the tenacity to be a three level scorer, able to finish at the rim with both hands, able to be a three point guy, step back, sidestep, mid range pull ups, free throw shooting. And the main concern with him, the only reason he wasn't a bona fide lottery pick was maturity. Yeah. And now you've got him in a situation in Houston where he's being mentored by John Lucas, where he's got a locker room of some vets, and he's in a team that's looking to really rebrand themselves and, you know, remarket themselves post the James Harden debacle. And I think Kevin Porter Jr. at the age of 21 entering his third season with a chip on his shoulder trying to prove everyone wrong is really going to turn some heads yeah. in the NBA this year. I agree. I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to average 20 a game. Like I, I think that's – I'm really expecting that just because of the – Like 20 shots. and 7 kind yeah. of deal? I really – I'm not going to – I mean, he gave you 17 last, you know, last year as well playing on you know his first year trying to play in as a starter as well. Having another year playing – you know, having another year, having a summer with Coach Silas as well where he expected his, to be that. His first full offseason ever. Exactly. His first full offseason with Coach Steven Silas, um, where on, honestly, he's going to be playing the point guard more than anything else now. I think the only question is going to be, how many minutes are you going to allocate to John Wall? How many minutes are you really going to allocate to, to KPJ? And I think that question may be answered very quickly as well, depending on what happens to John Wall early in the season. That's so. the big question mark, man. You know, the big question mark among Rockets fans is, what is this roster going to look like come yeah. February? Are you going to find the minutes for Jalen Green, KPJ, your young guys like Shengun and Joshua Christopher with John Wall, Eric Gordon, and some other vets, Daniel House on this yeah. team? Who knows, man? And, and as a Rockets fan, I can't answer that question for you right now, but 
I have faith in Raphael Stone and what he's done thus far and what he's been able to find with the limited resources and the cards he's been dealt. So KPJ, I again, you know, non-Rockets fans are going to be rolling their eyes at us, but we see, we know talent when we see it. These rock, we've been through a lot, man. The yeah. early 2010s, no one in Houston was saying Kevin Martin was going to be the superstar of the NBA when he had his Houston stint. No one was saying Luis Scola was the big man of the future. When we see Kevin Porter Jr. do what he does at his age with the limited reps that he has, I think that brings a lot of excitement and joy to Rockets fans because we know star power when we see it. And we've seen quite a bit of it over the last two decades in terms of marketing and brand power that these stars bring. What? Uh, let me ask you two questions mm-hmm. about KPJ, man. Number one, what concerns you about him? Uh, mat- maturity, I think shot selection is, a, is can be one for him. And the third is, I, I just don't know what they really want out of him. Do they want him to be a pure point guard? Do they want him to be an off-ball guard? Um, are they going to have a bit of both? Are they going to have Jalen Green play the point guard sometimes and KPJ play off-ball? I think that's my main concern. Like, I just don't know what role they really have for KPJ. What role do you want him to play? I would want him to play the point guard ideally. I really think he'd be a good point guard just because you know you saw you saw what he can do uh, as a point guard. And I think Jalen Green just isn't a point guard. He's a, he's a two guard. So to have both of them work by default, KPJ has to end up being the point guard on this team. Um, and I want this to work, right? I want KPJ. I want a backcourt of KPJ and Jalen Green, and to be able to maximize both their strengths. And then you're going to have to put Kevin Porter Jr. at the point guard. So again, I just don't. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Or is Steven Salas going to say the same thing, or is he going to want to play him off ball and you know play John Wall point guard? I don't know. And who better to make this decision? than a Steven Silas who led a historic Dallas Mavericks offense in the 2020 season, the most efficient offense in NBA history, right? The highest offensive rating of any basketball team in the history of the NBA since measuring that metric. So I have full confidence in him. I agree with you, man. Reps and maturity. He averaged 6.3 assists, but still 3.5 turnovers. And again, this was his first time really playing that point combo guard role. So I think reps will kind of figure that out. What's the next step to unlocking? Uh, vision like point guard vision i think is going to be the biggest step for him more than anything else um i think he gets very like one-sided score like i think he gets that james Harden mentality of like i'm gonna fucking attack my defender and get my shot no matter what and i think sometimes it can be to his detriment but i think that's again i can't blame him that much because last year we were, this team was fucking talentless you know i don't want to say like that in a direct that negative connotation but i mean yeah there there really wasn't that many options to yeah, be able to pass you're, the ball they're trying to just figure out what they had right right and i think now i think by default having somebody like jalen green right next to you you know having you know josh christopher changoon christian wood obviously coming back healthy as well there's going to be a lot of options that it's not like hey kpj just get in your bag and give us the points right there's a lot of different options for him yeah. to facilitate with now my player comparisons promising and concerning at the same time i've got two guys i'm gonna put together you mentioned james harden before which i agree man finish with both hands he's shifty three-point shot mid-range shot ability to run the pick and roll excellently i also have the concerning part of this is d'angelo russell Mm -hmm. a guy who doesn't really get to the free throw line a whole bunch and a guy who although kpj possesses the ability to finish at the rim with unreal athleticism with d'angelo russell doesn't um, shot selection, like you mentioned, man, he kind of tends to fall in love with his jumper a little too much for my liking, but I think reps and maturity will kind of ease that concern. So I don't know if you had anyone different, but those are my two put together. Yeah, I wouldn't, I'm just not going to like prematurely compare him to James Harden. I think that's just way, way, way too early right <laughs> that's now. That's the Houston fan in me. Yeah. Like that's just like, I think it's way too early to, you know, put him on as like top five shooting guard of all time. But I, I do like that D'Angelo Russell comparison, uh, 
pre-Brooklyn Nets D'Angelo Russell, I would say. Um, you know, I would definitely put him towards that. Like, I think LA Lakers, uh, D'Angelo Russell. And who knows, maybe if he's better than that, then yeah, Brooklyn Nets is D'Angelo Russell, who was an all-star that year. So I think that's a solid comparison. All right, man. Number six, done. Um, we didn't spend too much time as Rockets yeah. fans no, on KPJ. I'm, I'm proud of us. We're fair. I'm proud of us. We're being objective. We're semi-objective. <laughs> uh, what a fitting transition from number six to seven for a guy that, again, we don't know what like is going to happen with this team or what the role of the players involved are going to be. Number seven, we've got Darius Garland, yeah. 21-year-old point guard or shooting, shooting guard, whatever, whatever the Cavaliers decide to do. For the Cleveland Cavaliers, tell me a little bit about Darius Garland because Nabil, you really you convinced me to put him higher on this list. I had him a little lower originally just because of his physical tools, but tell me about Darius Garland yeah. and why you were high on him. I think Darius Garland is just one of those guys that he is such a good fucking three point shooter, and he has such good mechanics when it comes to shooting that in a league now that values the three point shot more than any other category than anything else. For crying out loud, Duncan Robinson just signed a fucking ninety million dollar deal to do one thing. Uh, Darius Garland does it at an excellent level, at like I would say a, you know a top tier level more than anything else, and I think one of the main reasons why the Cleveland Cavaliers are willing or you know you hear the rumors are willing to get rid of Colin Sexton is because Darius Garland can do everything Colin Sexton can but he can do it in a more efficient manner than Colin Sexton can personally he may not be as explosive but again he's a better shooter than Colin Sexton and as a you know as a backcourt player that means more than anything else and I think that jump that he had from his rookie year to his sophomore year was huge and just being able to show that hey offensively he's he's on he's on that same level as some of these top guards when it comes to getting their own shot creating their own shot and getting the efficiency you know efficient use out of each shot that they take I think we're just scratching the surface with Darius Garland and I think it just sucks as well that he's playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers that he's not getting the national you know spotlight treatment as some of his other contemporaries but I think the ceiling is very high for Darius Garland, and I think a lot of it's going to depend on what the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to be doing in the next couple of years. Are you going to get rid of Colin Sexton and just make you know Darius Garland your primary point guard? How are you going to you know, ingratiate Evan Mobley into this offense? What are you going to do now with Jared Allen, in which you actually have a true you know pick and roll and a guy that can get to the paint and be a lob threat now playing alongside Darius Garland as well? Is that going to increase his assist account? Um, I think there's so many question marks to see what Kobe Altman and, this, uh, and you know the, the GM Kobe Altman is going to do with the Cleveland Cavaliers. That Darius Garland is going to have a lot of fun potential to see over the next couple of years, bro. Yeah, the the question marks are the big thing, right? Like sex, the sex lane backcourt that a lot of people were excited about to start the season. The Cavs, I think, were a top four seed in the East for mm -hmm. the first three weeks of the season, and then injuries and kind of the, I think the realness of the season for a young team set in, but man, there's so many question marks. The Sexland backcourt, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley front court. What role does Okoro play on this team going forward? And for what Darius Garland showed in year two, 17 points a game and six rebounds a game on the efficiency markers that you mentioned, man, 40% from the field, a 39% three point shooter for a six foot one guard who has the ball in his hands, that's always impressive, man. And I think that gets lost among NBA fans is you can be a good three-point shooter. You can be a 35 36% field goal guy like Eric Gordon, who's getting a lot of his looks presented to him by the point guard. But if you're a 39% three-point shooter who's creating your own looks, that's impressive, man. Yeah. And so for you to do that in year two, and on top of all that, we've mentioned this so much on the pod, man, and I'm going to bring it up again and again and again because it never fails. Team USA experience, man. Absolutely. 
playing with the best players in the world and being in a locker room, seeing how they practice, seeing how they prepare. He didn't make the final roster for Team USA going into the Tokyo Olympics where they won gold again, but he was there throughout the entire process leading up to the departure to Tokyo. And I think that's going to benefit him going into year three, especially considering the fact that, man, he was on a Cleveland roster with just a bunch of young guys, like no real vet leadership or presence in the room, no solidified coaching where he's going to be able to get mentorship from anyone. And I think seeing that for him is going to result in a decent, a decent jump year three. Granted that we have some assurances of uh, continuity and some consistency in minutes and, uh, you know, the rotation in Cleveland that we didn't have last year. So I'm excited for Darius Garland. I didn't have him too high, man. In fact, when I first made the top 10, I completely forgot about him, yeah. which goes to show you the situation in Cleveland and what he did there. You know, he's yeah. just not in the spotlight, which a lot of people forget. But he's I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. Granted, Cleveland figures it out this year, which it's not a guarantee that they do. But if you pay attention and you're a league pass kind of fan, you're going to notice Darius Garland this year. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with you, man. I think, again, that just a lot of it, I don't, I don't think it's his, it, it's his fault, right? Just playing in Cleveland. Uh, Post LeBron James, do we, does anybody in the NBA even care about Cleveland? Like, like I think the city of Cleveland itself had the largest like rate of people leaving the city. And I think this is the same thing you could say about NBA fans uh, once LeBron James had left the city of Cleveland as well. Yeah, nobody cares about Cleveland. Uh, make us care about you. Uh, you know, having somebody like Darius Garland, having somebody like Colin Sexton, draft, dra- drafting Evan Mobley. Uh, hopefully Cleveland comes back into you know relevancy back into the NBA. And I guess, you know, having somebody like Darius Garland hopefully helps them in the future. The uh, <laughs> This is interesting. The player comparison they gave to him coming out of college was Mo Williams. That's that's a little. I feel like that's disrespectful that's just, that's to a, a second-year guy averaging seventeen and six. Do you have a more, I guess, honorable player comparison for this guy? Man, off the top of my head, the only guy I could really, the only guy I could think of, what like a six-foot guy that can get you like a bucket more than anything else. Maybe like Kemba. Maybe. I think Kemba. Kemba's a solid comparison to him. Yeah. I would think that or maybe like if I'm thinking a little high for him, but I think this could be a solid comparison. I think Isaiah Thomas. Not Ooh. not not Detroit Isaiah Thomas. Midget Isaiah Thomas. Okay. Uh, Boston's great. You know, the 81-point scorer in the fucking G in the in the in that the little pro-am pro-am league. That he league. Yeah. Uh yeah, dude. I I see a lot of Isaiah Thomas in him. Like, you know, the Sacramento Kings, Boston Celtics. I think he can get to that potential. Um, I see a lot of similarities between them as well as pull-up shooters. So yeah, I think Isaiah Thomas for me, man. Interesting player comp. What's the next step to unlocking him? Um, I think repetition. Just honestly, repetition. I think just more repetition at, at his position yeah, more than anything. Else. Reps and consistency. Yeah. Get him a lineup. Get him a coach that can. Do- As a point guard man, like I think that's so important. Is just being coached up the right way yeah. and having mentors. And Cleveland's not the best situation for that, but he's overcome a lot already in year two. And like we mentioned, man, the the veteran leadership, the mentorship, I think that he got from Team USA in the short stint that he had is going to help him out. So there he is at number, uh, let's go, number seven, or I'm sorry, number yeah. eight. Or no, I'm sorry, number seven. Yeah, that was number I'm seven. I'm flipping back and Are forward. You? I'm busting my load here with number eight because Ooh. this is a guy that Houston almost had that we're lucky we didn't have. Yeah. Tyler Hero of the Miami Heat, 21-year-old guy who's just a year removed from scoring 37 points, the most points scored by a rookie in the conference finals against the Boston Celtics since Magic Johnson did so about 40 years ago. Bro, Tyler Hero, we've got him in the top 10. Some people would have him higher. I think he would have probably been top five if we did this podcast a year ago. Easily. Why is Tyler Hero at the spot that he's at right now. Yeah, so I think there's going to be a lot of bias from what happened last year or you know this past season as well. 
Um, I think the problem that happened with Tyler Hero is just the fact that when we saw this, you know, Miami and Bucks series redid this year compared to the year before, uh, the Bucks, you know, as we recall, swept the Miami Heat. And the problem I think that happened was I think this was a, the clear cut case of being thrown in a role too early and too soon before you've actually matured into it. I think we saw it really with this Bucks series where the Bucks kind of built a wall around Jimmy Butler. And because of it, they essentially Jimmy had to get the ball to Tyler Hero and Tyler Hero was kind of thrown into that secondary uh, being your primary, you know, playmaker type of role this early in his career, and he just faltered. And I, you know, you really can't blame him for that being thrown into that role as such, such an early age into his career. I think what he did, that anomaly of what he had his first year, you know, averaging twenty in that conference uh, in that conference final series against the Boston Celtics. I think that's still there, and I think we can't downplay that more than anything else. I think more importantly. He's going to be able, because of the addition of Kyle Lowry on the Miami Heat, he's going to be playing on the fucking second team alongside Victor Oladipo. And Man. I don't think it's going to be a very far stretch to say that the Miami Heat are literally going to have the best second team in the NBA, bar none, having a backcourt of Victor Oladipo. and Gr- Granted, Hero. Oladipo looks like at least 70% of himself. Yeah, and even then, right, to have a, you know, a six-man such as Tyler Hero, I don't think it's a hot take to think that Tyler Hero is going to be in contention for six-man of the year, personally. You know, a 20-year-old guy who just gave you 15, 5, and 3 on 44% from the field, 36% from three, and still, despite that, we say he's dropped off. Yeah, fucking crazy. <laughs> That's a good problem to have, man. And again, I, we get caught up in these numbers so much. I think the eye test we need to go, take into account as well, man. That conference finals against Boston, he was doing things that star players did. Oh, easily. He was getting to the rim. He was hitting step back threes, pull up J's, pick and rolls, Euro steps, side steps. So he's shown the tenacity to be able to do the things that he needs to do to be a star guard in this league. Mm-hmm let alone a six-man that can come off the bench and produce very quickly for a playoff team, not just a bum team, yeah. but a team that went to the finals a year ago. And I think that in itself propels him to being one of the more, I think the most underrated guy on this list oh, so far. Easily. I'm really not going to be surprised if he can like, if he ends up averaging you know, close to 20 a game, I really, I really want to be surprised. I think the main reason behind it is Kyle Lowry's up there with age, right? Like, I think there's going to be a lot of load management that they're going to, that the Miami Heat, or if they're smart, I would think that there should be a lot of load. You'll management see a lot of games where Tyler Hero starts. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think, and as you should, right? I think you're you're saving Kyle Lowry for the playoffs as you should. So I really wouldn't be surprised if he ends up not playing a lot of these games and Tyler Hero ends up playing the starting roles. So for guys like Zach Noble, for guys like Safe Basaria. Uh, other people outside of Houston who dog the Rockets for not trading James Harden for Tyler Hero, including Heat fans mm-hmm. who were just aghasted by the idea of giving up their young guy for James Harden. Looking back at it now, now that we're at number seven on this list, eight. or number eight on this list, I'm sorry. Are you still disappointed we didn't give up James Harden for Tyler Hero? No, if it not was at a all. straight up trade? No, not at all. I mean, bro, I think it's safe to say I think Jalen Green is a much higher ceiling than Tyler Hero. Yeah, I, agree. I don't I don't think that's a hot take at all. I mean, I think Jalen Green's gonna lead the league in scoring in a couple of years. So, I can't say the same thing about Tyler Hero. So what's the next step for Tyler Hero? What does he do to unlock that next level where he can be in the discussion with some of those guys? I think again it's gonna come to that elite level. I hate to repeat myself, but elite level separation. I think we we've seen that a lot. Uh, again, with the Trey Youngs, we've seen that with the Devin Bookers, we've seen that with the Luka Doncic's of the world. Uh, Tyler Hero just doesn't have that. I- I've seen a lot of it where he has to expound extra effort to try to get separation from his defender or really have to rely on a screen from Bam Adebayo, who's you know, one of the best screeners in this league, to be able to get his space. I think the main thing that you have to, if you're Tyler Hero, is that if you're left on an island, that you can pretty much, you know, 
you can depend on yourself to get that shot. You don't need to depend on Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo to, you know, kind of like curtail you to, to kind of bail you out to get your own shot. Yeah, and and this is the first time in his career where he's been relied upon to do so, right? Yeah. In Kentucky, he was he wasn't even the best player on that Kentucky no. team that beat U of H in the NCAA tournament and went on to go to the Final Four. Thanks for rubbing it in. <laughs> we got a UH alum oh in the house. Gosh. Shout out Patrick Fertitta um, and Tillman. We don't need to talk about his name. <laughs> Um, but yeah, man, Tyler Hero, I think just kind of getting those reps in that position that he's going to be in and creating that separation will be huge for him. Let's go on to number nine, man. Mm-hmm. The guy with the lowest ceiling of any guy on this list, but I think probably the highest floor to be a productive player on a playoff team. The number 12th pick in the guy in the draft a couple of years ago, Tyrese Halliburton, man, 20 yeah. year old guy for the Sacramento Kings, a team that's always drafted so shitty. <sighs> And has failed to surround their young stars like DeMarcus Cousins back mm-hmm. in the 2010s with young talent. Tyrese Halliburton, they finally, you know, get a diamond in the rough at pick 12. Tyrese Halliburton, man, tell me about him and why he's so low on this list, but yeah. why people should still value him as a productive player. Yeah, I think for me, first and foremost, was the fact that he had a great rookie season, right? Like he was number three, I think, in rookie of the year voting more than anything else. And on top of that, when you just look at the, we talk about the eye test, his frame, the dude's like six foot five with like a six foot eight wingspan. And he can play the point guard position like to a T. Like he's the great modern day point guard. Can play multiple positions, is naturally a point guard, but can be switched upon to guard a two or a three at any at any given time. A, a sniper from a three-point line as well. Great IQ, great vision. You know, honestly, I think he'd be higher on this list if he was just in a better position, not you know, not in this, uh, playing for the Sacramento Kings. I think the only problem that we all have for the sac is is again the fact that he's playing for the Sacramento Kings and the Kings have three fucking point guards that are on this team. And you know, no knock to Tyrese, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, but. You know, De'Aaron Fox is head and shoulders better than uh, Tyler Halliburton right now. Uh, Davion Mitchell is just, he's going to be an all-world defender already. And honestly, the way he played in the summer league, I think, uh, I'm not going to say he's better, but I think the argument's there that he may be a little bit better already than Tyrese Halliburton. So he's going to be fighting for minutes against Davion Mitchell and, and, you know, and De'Aaron Fox at the point guard position. So I'm kind of, you know, surprised. Yeah. No, I'm just a little bit surprised that honestly, he would you know, be on this list more than anything else, man. And I think the main problem that we end up keep that we keep looking at this is going to be what role does Tyrese Halliburton play for the Sacramento Kings offense? Are you going to just have a three headed beast at the point guard position and have, you know, just throw out De'Aaron Fox, Davion Mitchell and Tyrese Halliburton all out there in position and just kind of play small ball at all times. Are you going to have Tyrese Halliburton come off the bench and be your sixth man? Are you going to have Davion Mitchell come off the bench and be your sixth man? So I think those are really the possibilities for why I don't have Tyrese Halliburton that high on my list compared to the other guys that we've mentioned. It's not really a knock against Tyrese Halliburton. Again, I think it's a knock against Vlade fucking Divac and uh, and the whole Sacramento Kings franchise more than anything else. But again, to your point that you stated, Vala, I think his ceiling is is very low but his floor is very high look at the numbers that he put up his rookie season and look at the numbers i think that he can put up his second and third season i i think that 
his second or third season, we may see him go up to 15 to 16 points a game. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of what we see his whole career kind of end up being. Him really being like a 15 to 16 point scorer in this league, averaging five to six, you know, assists a game. It's not superstar numbers per se, but it's, you know, I, I think it's very fair to say that starting point guard numbers really in this league to be able to give you that. So I think he'll be a solid starter in this league. I just don't see superstar potential on him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, for a rookie with the wonky mechanics that he has to put up 47% from the field and 41% yeah. from three, does he have the ugliest shot of any guard in this league that Absol- can put up those numbers? Yeah, absolutely. It's, just, <laughs> it's crazy to see that's the numbers he puts up with that type of mechanics. And, and let's talk about the floor, right? You know, you talk about a jack of all trades, not elite at one ability, but great at everything. Only two players in NBA history, only two rookies in NBA history have had an assist rate of 20%, a usage rate under 20%, and still maintained a true shooting percentage over 60%. Tyrese Halliburton's number one. Who's the only other guy? You're ne- There's no way you guess this. No way. I'll give you a hint. Yeah. He, he was the engine of one of the most underrated teams in the West, a team of the Denver Nuggets. Chauncey Billups? It was Ty Lawson. <laughs> Wow, yeah. that just hurts. Says the Rockets. The, chi- the Chinese racist against Chinese women. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. So again, for him to be put into that category is concerning. To have your name mentioned really? along Ty Lawson, but still, man, the trade is all there. You know, forty percent. People think it might be a fluke, but he shot forty percent from three in both his NCAA seasons as well. And so I think that's a lazy take to just say a rookie year fluke. Mm-hmm. The only thing for him, I think, to unlocking is just creating for himself, yeah. right? He play. I think he'll benefit a little bit playing next to De'Aaron Fox. But again, having Mitchell and Fox in that backcourt, the minutes are going to be limited. But Halliburton benefits from his frame, being a taller 6'5", 6'6", guard. And he's a great team defender with that size as well. Yeah. So he'll find minutes on the court. He won't be featured as a guard as, as much as he was this past ceiling, but... Um, I feel like he's still going to be there. He's still going to be in that lineup, and he's still going to be in winning time minutes. And we saw him hit some winning time shots. He had that yeah. game winner in the corner against the Raptors this past season. He was in the fourth quarter of all the Kings games in that finishing lineup. So, you know, he's not, like you mentioned, a high ceiling kind of guy, but I can absolutely see him as one of the six best players on a championship quality team Easily. in his you know fourth or fifth season in the NBA. Uh, what's a realistic player comp for him? This is an interesting one. Uh, I mean, George Hill. I really think yeah. he's going to be a George Hill. Yeah, I see like a George Hill-Sean Livingston combo. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Sean Livingston with a with an efficient three-point shot. Yep. So George Hill's a good one for me. And I just, you know, I hope he brings happiness to a franchise in Sacramento that hasn't been in the playoffs in 17 years yeah. and that's drafted god-awfully in the last 20 years. So let's see what happens with him. Yeah, I'm excited, man. Last one to round this list out, man. James Wiseman. Yeah. I mean, we talk about that. Out of everybody on this list, this guy's in the best position. How nice is it to be on the greatest run team of the past decade, uh, to be able to literally be the fourth or fifth option on your team to score a bucket and have no pressure on you whatsoever? Just just be the center. Not only are you being set up by Steph Curry and you have the gravity of the paint being extended out to the three-point line with guys like Steph and Clay, but by the way, you have a power forward who's one of the best playmaking power forwards in the NBA in the modern era of basketball and Draymond Green who's going to set you up with lob opportunities. You're seven foot one. You've got nice touch around the rim. You've got a little left-handed shot that you can extend out to the three-point line. And per 36-minute numbers for James Wiseman, his rookie year as a 19-year-old, he put up 20 and 10. Mm -hmm. So who's to say that he's not the lob guy 
that the Warriors really haven't had during this entire dynasty run, right? Who's it been? Like, you know, Andrew Andrew Bogut, who wasn't really a lob guy, more so their defensive anchor and their tough guy. Kavon Looney, like Mm -hmm. you mentioned, who was mostly really a pick-and-roll switch defender for them. This is the first time Steph, Clay, and Dre have had this lob threat, other than like a backup JaVale McGee that couldn't get serious minutes for that team. Wiseman brings a lot more to the table for them than any of those guys. And I'm really interested if they retain him. And this is all, you know, we're recording this in late August of 2021. If they don't move on from him and Wiggins and they retain this core, I'm really interested to see how Wiseman's incorporated into the Warriors. What kind of a role and what kind of numbers do you see him having for this Warriors team? So I think, again, it's just going to depend on what the hell they decide to do. They still have Jonathan coming on this team too, right? Like they still have, uh, like you mentioned, Andrew Wiggins as well. I think, again, his role is literally going to be that of being a lot there. I think I see literally that Clint Capella role given to him more than anything else just because... There's, with I, the jump I, shot. With the jump shot. Yeah, with the goddamn <laughs> jump shot. There's going to be no... I don't see any way that they run offensive plays directly based for James Wiseman. I think he's literally just going to be the screener on the top of the key that, you know, that uh, instead of Draymond being that screener more than anything else, I kind of can see them using James Wiseman as that screener just because he covers more surface area than Draymond does from a size perspective. And who knows, maybe early in the year, you know, since they're still ingratiating Clay back into the system, I think the Warriors said that they're not going to have Clay back until, uh, until Christmas Day. I wouldn't be surprised if early in the year they do start running some plays for James Wiseman to take some, you know, take some, give Steph Curry a little bit of off time more than anything else because you know if you're talking offensively without clay what is this team looking like you know steph's your number one option obviously then what andrew wiggins is your second option maybe uh and then james wiseman so i can see them kind of taking plays for andrew wiggins and giving them to james wiseman potentially as well just to try to make him a better offensive threat for the future but then whenever clay thompson comes back yeah all bets are off you know this whole offense is going to run through clay and um and steph and dre you know just like they did in that 73 one season yeah, we've we've already forgotten about him, man. People, a lot of people had Wiseman as the number one pick yeah. last year, and we just forgot about him because he missed some time for the Warriors. The Warriors were a fringe playoff team. Steph had the season that he had, and so I think he's going to come back into our periphery now that the Warriors are going to be back in the playoff hunt. Now that Steph doesn't have to carry a team that he can't carry because he's a FA number one superstar guy. Ooh, but I'm take. <laughs> Maybe hyperbolizing a little bit, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I'll be interested to see Wiseman. He's the one that, again, I, I don't think he comes to mind right away in a top 10 list of young guys, but given the context and the traits he brings to the table, I think he's going to remind a lot of people where he's at. And that's it, man. Yeah. Top 10. Done. Done. Last thing I want to mention here is we always look back, man. We I know I re-listened to our uh, NBA awards prediction mm-hmm. from the 2020 season a while back, and there's so many guys that we go back and listen to where like we really thought that or how did I not even think of this guy on the list who's going to be a guy maybe a year from now that when we're re-listening to this podcast we ask ourselves how was this player not on our list of top 10 guys under the age of 21 yeah I think we both agreed on this before the pod right uh Pat Williams out of the Chicago Bulls man Chicago Chicago is going to be scary go ahead bro yeah no I, I think Chicago just has I think it's fair to say Chicago Bulls had probably the best free agency, if not not named the Miami Heat in in the whole NBA this past offseason. And you still got to retain Pat Williams more than anything else. I think, first off, I think DeMar DeRozan is going to end up playing that four more than anything else like he did in San Antonio. Yes, yes. And I think that the second thing, I think the second thing that you're going to see is to have Pat Williams come off the bench and play a completely different role than what DeMar DeRozan is going to play at the four originally. It's going to do wonders 
for kind of like the for kind of the Chicago Bulls and being so unpredictable. I think Patrick Williams has a really cool skill set that not a lot of players on that team specifically have, and I think he's going to be able to play a role that. Um, this team really needs more than anything else. I don't think a lot of NBA fans know about Pat Williams. Tell me just in general, like what does he bring to the Chicago Bulls? Because I expect, you know, the Bulls are going all in here yeah. on retaining Zach Levine with what they've surrounded him with, bringing in, uh, what's his name, Nurkic yeah. from the Magic. They bring in Lonzo uh, Ball Vucevic from the... Mean, right? Vucevic, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. And they bring in Lonzo Ball from mm-hmm. the offseason. DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan, who, you know, for the Spurs, was one of the three best players in the NBA last year in terms of creating open three-point shots for his teammates, playing mm-hmm. that point-forward role now for the Chicago Bulls. What role does Patrick Williams play for this team? What does he bring to the table? I think he, he's going to be playing anywhere. I think he can be your wing, your your three. I think he could be your four. I think in some cases, you could play him at the small ball five as well. I think this guy is very... There's a lot... He's Again, he's one of those guys, compared to, to, to Triple J, where you could play him in any role that you really need him to play. He plays bigger than he needs to be. He plays smaller than he really needs to be. I think, again, he's one of those malleable guys. He's one of those three and D guys. You know, we talk again about like, uh, you know, top commodities in the NBA. The 3 and D guy is the top commodity in this NBA just because you could do so much more with him than anything else. And, you know, we talk about player comparisons, bro. I think one for him that's really good that I personally think is Robert Covington. I think this guy can easily play the Robert Covington role more than anything else. Very high efficiency three-point shooter. uh, Can play in the paint if you really need him to. And uh, above average defender, you know, and potential to be all NBA defensive player as well. So this guy has a lot going with them. I think the only thing that I could think of is are there going to be enough minutes to go around to get him That's the big a thing, role? man. That's the big thing. You know, it, he's put in the time in the yeah. offseason. He was all NBA second team summer league this off this summer. Averaged 21 a game, 8 rebounds, and like you said, man, he's a defensive unicorn. He can play big, he can play around on the perimeter. He shot 44% from 3, so he can play that complementary role where he doesn't necessarily need the ball in his hand. And for a Chicago team with a lot of guys who can create I see him fitting very well as a third year. Is this his third year or his? I think it'll be his second year. Second year, yeah. Yeah. He was a rookie last year. You're right about that. I can see him being a guy that fits very well and very comfortably into a complementary role with these guys because of the physical traits that you mentioned, Nabil. So Patrick Williams, watch out for him and watch out for the Chicago Bulls. I don't don't understand why people don't see the Bulls as a automatic breakout top four team in the east next year man like yeah they're stacked dude. zach levine i one of the main takeaways that i had from tokyo that a lot of people didn't bring up is almost every end of the game lineup that i saw from those olympic team usa games zach levine was in yeah which shows me when you're in a locker room with 10 of the best american basketball players in the world and they say you're going to be one of the five guys on the court at the end of a game the respect from your peers i think speaks more to anything else in terms of what you should expect from a player coming out this next season. And I think Zach Levine's going to be a dog. I think DeMar DeRozan, along with Lonzo Ball, give them the perimeter playmakers that they've lacked over the last few years to surround Zach Levine with. Vucevic. All-star player. All-star center. I mean, you need a bucket down low, throw it down to him, and he's efficient. He can stretch the court for you as well. And, man, Kobe White off the bench as well. You know, yeah. a, another guy who's under 21, who we thought was a little overrated, who we thought this next season isn't going to be as productive. And I, I don't I don't know necessarily if he's a guy who I'd want in my top 10 or if he was a guy who put up great numbers on a bad team who was forced into the role he was. But in terms of what they're going to give the Bulls, man, Pat Williams and Chicago in general is going to be exciting. So I'm glad we were able to agree on him. And that's it, brother. Yeah. 
Shit. Top 10 players under 21. If you're a casual fan, we just educated you on what to expect for the next three years of basketball in terms of star power. So you're welcome. Boom. And Nabil, thank you for joining me in person again, bro. Bro, absolutely, man. We got to do this a lot more. And for, uh, again, just being Houston homers, this is going to be a fun time to watch KPJ next year. Fun time. When we do this list next year, I'm excited to talk about Alperin, Shengun, Jalen Green, Usman, Garubo, and Joshua Christopher in the top 10 players under 21. <sighs> That'd be so nice. For okay. Houston Rockets. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to our nonsense. As, as always, we say bye. bye.